What better way to kick off the new year than reviewing a show starring David Tennant based off a classic novel that's been adapted a gazillion times. I'm talking of course about Jewel Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. Now it's 2022, Year of the Tiger, year that George Jetson is said to be born, and the year that we start eating Soylent Green. By the way, how do you think that Gerard Butler is doing right now? Like, is he uh, is he healthy? Is he bulking up? I thought so. There's this Geostorm thing that's supposed to come around this year, and I just hope he's got us covered. So Geostorm, the movie, takes place in 2022. Mm-hmm. Even though it only came out like five years ago. Yeah, I was going to say. Also, The Sixth Purge, the first one that came out in 2013, that takes place now. The one with Ethan Hawke? Yes. But seriously, the ball just dropped. It's 2022, officially. And it's weird because we are now thoroughly entrenched in this century. Like... If I was dropped in 1999 right now, I would know immediately. Ten years ago, if I was dropped in 1999, it would take me like three minutes to like realize. So you wouldn't even have to ask someone what what like decade. It would be so apparent at this point. We have, and also we can't be blamed. We can't blame like the 1900s for our problems anymore. We've had enough time to solve any issue that we wanted to fix. We're like an adult century now. Well, I remember when I was growing up, I wanted to always say, hey, we were in the 20s because the 2000s, it's not really a thing. Can't really say like the 2010s. I always wanted like the 20s to 30s to be like, oh, we're in the 20s and then 2020 hit and now I don't want to be in the 20s anymore. Just because you've heard (laughs) everything about the 1920s and it was like the roaring 20s, the jazz age, like all that good stuff happened. And when we finally reached it here, it looks like a cool date, but pandemic and climate change right at the beginning yeah poverty levels and yeah it's not the best place to be in by any means however it's the future it's the time that like all those writers and and movies from the early era all tried to predict that was happening so my my question to you to start off this this uh podcast is what do you predict will happen in the next 50 so years like in 27 you're not talking about trends wise you're talking about like to the earth i mean like trends i mean like uh, specific events if you want to guess that but I, I have a couple predictions about like what the next few years are going to bring in the next 50 years like w- w- what do you think's going to happen oh, you get into it but it seems pretty morbid i mean i think no that, no, no no i don't want to d- concentrate on like the terribleness of well stuff, i was but... going to say that i think that like uh, probably 50 years from now we will have people that have reached mars and also i remember reading something i think like 10 years ago that said that like by 2050 we're going to have like probably a pretty good cure for cancer and i'm hoping that like also develops into something like alzheimer's or or anything else that's really terrible for the human body like medicine will definitely expand if anything though from reading all the predictions from the early 1900s about our time now i think someone predicted that the british were going to take us over again in the u.s (laughs) <laughs> so, like there be so there's there's some odd stuff that like i wouldn't trust an article from 10 years ago unless it has some scientific well, it was CBS, basis it was the cbs morning whatever the show is called with the okay. suns that's what they're that's what it was yeah i mean there's 60 minutes stuff you can watch from the 60s that looks ridiculous now <laughs> i think there's like a war on drugs where it's just like it seems so targeted toward like the narrative was just it wasn't great I think Apple Glass looks pretty nifty. Like, I've been for years wishing that Google Glass, which I was never, like, a huge fan of that specific product, but, like, the possibilities of something like that looks amazing. But but for something smaller, I think the stigma of, like, boomers, you know, that that will eventually shift toward anyone born before the turn of the century. Oh, well, yeah. That's... Like, I think that there will be that dividing year, and basically Gen Z will just turn on all the millennials and start calling them old. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I read a post I remember said, what what if OK Millennial was booming? And it was like a question right as OK Boomer kind of came into everyone's uh, vernacular. But like, that's it. We're in the future already. And it's crazy. And we, we, we're getting all these crazy TV shows that are looking at the past. <laughs> <laughs> so this show talks about technological innovations, right? Like, it's the thing that caused Vern to want to write the book. Yeah, it's breakthroughs of the time that make the speed at which people can cross land. That that was really interesting to him. So he was like, well, let's take that idea, push the envelope, and see what we come up with. Because Vern is sort of known for being the father, along with H.G. Wells, of science fiction. And this, uh, the book doesn't really follow too much sci-fi. Like, this, it yeah, was well, technically possible. There's no, like, floating cars or anything. But, like, I don't think it's possible, or at that time, to make it around the world in 80 days, right? That's where you're talking about the sci-fi type of thing comes in? I mean, it sort of was. Because people read the book. It became very popular. It was published in 1872, French first, um, because he was fr- French. And uh, that was actually the year before jeans were invented. Just right, right beforehand. So we're still, people are still wearing, like, quilts and stuff. Yes, it was it was all quilts. There were no jeans. It was just all quilts and togas, and people just didn't wear clothes. <laughs> like in <you know>? Rome. <laughs> it was obviously more than quilts. They had trousers. It just wasn't the jean material. You didn't have Shakespeare walking around with his jeans. <laughs> <laughs> with his Levi's. Um, so you got the father of sci-fi, and don't confuse him with... Um, do you remember who we called the father of sci-fi horror, right? Ray Radbury? No, that's cool. that's a good one. But H.P. Lovecraft, when we did our episode on him, we were talking a lot about how he was coined that term because of everything that was going Cthulhu and all that. So Around the Earth in 80 Days, published in 1872. It's in the public domain. It's been adapted on the stage as a musical, a radio on radio, video games, cartoons, television, movies, you name it. Like I went on to look at like any podcast discussing this specific show, and they have just a ton of people who have done the entire book. Like, you can just listen to the book like an audiobook through normal podcast means. And that, so I listened to the first chapter, and um, it was just introducing uh, Phileas Fogg. Yeah, how did they do that in the in the book? It's I'll... just, well, I listened to like 11 minutes worth of them describing his character. And the thing I've heard about David Tennant's performance is that, it, from him himself, is that this is not the same Phileas Fogg. That in the book, he's a little bit more like mercurial fastidious and like mysterious but also he knows everything that he's doing like he's not afraid of anything he's kind of world yeah that's different yeah like i've heard that this is supposed to be more of a character that changes throughout the show and so how long is this premiere because you watch two episodes both episodes are around like 50 minutes okay the episodes are 50 minutes there's eight episodes the book is only around 230 pages so we're talking about haunting of hill house again small book big extension of what they're doing obviously they're not going to follow the source material exactly um how much do you think that the budget was on this oh. if you had to just guess knowing that they had to do a lot For of the traveling whole series i would guess 150 million holy shit no it's not that much that's that's <laughs> that's too a marvel much. show yeah this is <laughs> you this is on masterpiece i know it was wasn't made I, didn't, by I, didn't masterpiece. Know, I didn't know who aired it so pbs like, pbs okay yeah well it was originally made i think through a conglomerate of different countries and then the bbc bought it and then they played it before this year was actually uh, i think it was like around boxing day or something anyways th- then it was only played in the u.s on january 2nd and so that's why we're doing it today uh 
the budget I read was 40 million pounds, which if you equate that to US dollars is 55 million dollars. Okay, I have a better I have a better understanding now. Yeah, because in the show, I'll, I'll start off with David Tennant. That's still a lot of money though. Yeah, okay. but but like Phileas Fogg, his, he is like more dopey and kind of a down on his luck type of portrayal. How is he introduced? Uh, he you the first thing you see is he's with his butler Grayson, and then Grayson brings him a note, and then Phileas Fogg looks at it, and it says coward on it, and that's kind of that's the first scene we see with him, and then later on he's having a lunch with. So is that guys. like just like an insult? Like sorry. So was that just an insult, or was it more of a threat? Was it supposed to intimidate him? Well, we see him? that like, Bog doesn't really take it personally. Like, he's just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. So whoever has been writing this to him, it might be his wife, because he talks about that in the second episode, how he, like, He says, my wife first. sometimes sneaks me notes to no. my butler, like, just call me a coward. We just learned that at one point he <laughs> loves someone, and then that person... <laughs> that person up. is just a trash Yeah, person. well, yeah. It, okay. But then he, like, has a lunch with some friends... And and he's like reading a newspaper article. It says around the world in eighty days. He's thinking he might be able to do it. But isn't he supposed to be part of some club, like the Reform Club or something? It was and like that's a... probably what it was. Yeah, but like he's surrounded with some friends and he's just like drinking tea. And mm-hmm. they're talking about like how it's impossible for someone to sail or like go around the world in eighty days. It's a bunch of rich people. Yeah, just spe- kind of shooting the shit. Yeah, specifically Bellamy, and he decides to make a bet with Phileas, and he's like, "Here, I twenty thousand pounds that you will not be able to make it around the world in eighty days, and then come back and like talk about it." And he's like, "You're on." And so twenty thousand said- pounds back then now would be like millions of dollars. Yeah, right? like it's partially his fortune it's strange because fog definitely doesn't have the money you can just kind of tell that off the bat really and we learned that later on bellamy doesn't have the uh money either hmm. like he's like having to take so it reminds me a little bit of like rat race well yeah that, that's why like kind of the stakes get turned up at the end of the second episode then there's john Passepartout. the first thing we see is that he decides to break up with his girlfriend edith he's the waiter at the place um that phileas fogg and the reform party that you were talking about so they do show phileas seat. first yeah yeah okay because that's interesting because the way they made it sound like this first episode reminded me of how sherlock was introduced oh. where they kind of show watson's character before they even introduce Sherlock, like they introduce sherlock through watson meeting him at the morgue it's actually right? reminding me more of the sherlock holmes movies than it did the sherlock holmes tv shows even though i Jude can see the comparison yeah the jude law thing okay uh, specifically one scene that happens almost directly after this but john's introduction i'll just call him that because his last name I, is, I is john a little bit like um what was the name of the show lupin uh because they're both french they're both black like and they're both supposed to be yeah. sort of a suave character that's that's smarter than they give on. Yeah, yeah. And they're also they're both like good at lying. Uh-huh. Yeah. But but John's character in the book is more like yeah, like that Watson character, that Alfred Batman character. Mm-hmm. But this guy seems like he's more independent. Like he's the one who's gonna be pulling Phileas Fogg as opposed to just aiding Phileas Fogg. Yeah, I mean he's he's more of a like charismatic type and also he like finds his way into trouble a lot. I've read some places that say it's almost more his show and all also the uh female lead who we'll talk about by the end of by the end of the first episode yeah by the end of the second episode it kind of focuses on all three of them okay but so it's an ensemble of the three of them as opposed to just phileas fogg and his journey yeah and one of the first scenes that we see with him is he like ends up fighting some guy he tries to speak to edith the person he broke up with again and then like everyone's like you hurt her too much and then one guy literally straight up fights him and he ends up winning the fight so that was supposed to show that he has like a rough pass or whatever Mm -hmm. and then and then he he takes off scrappy yeah and then and during the the party May I just say the character introductions for this, except for David Tennant, I felt a little bit were weak because I didn't really see like get the point of them too much. I thought that there would have been a better way to introduce them because uh, 
Well, there's only one more character yeah, introduction, yeah. right? And that's Abigail Fix. Yeah. Who's also sort of scrappy. She she comes in during, like, the like tea party or whatever. And she gets really... She goes into the club? Yeah. Which the rich person Which she's club? not supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't think that that happened very often. Yeah. And, and she's mad at, like, um her father, who is one of the people that David Tennant is speaking to. Uh, but she didn't get credit for her article that she wrote in a newspaper. I think it was the Daily Telegraph. Yeah. And she, like, yells at her father for it, and her father's like, here, we'll speak about it, like, in two hours, but just, like, leave us alone right now. Mm-hmm. That, that was our first So she's sort of the, like, millennial, how millennials are represented in, <laughs> in shows now, but now it's, like... Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, no, completely. And so, Phileas Fogg, he decides to go back to his apartment. Is it a big apartment? Yeah, I mean, he has a butler. Like, he has an estate. Yeah, he's living in a spacious place. But this is where the Sherlock Holmes scene takes place because we kind of get, as Phileas Fogg is going into his apartment, almost a rewind aspect where we see John. He was actually being one of the waiters at the reform party, but he, he takes off. Fogg is looking for a companion. Like, he's even thinking that he might take Grayson along with him to travel the How world. How old is Grayson? Grayson reminds Grayson's me Grayson's like 80. Yeah, and Grayson like, sounds like the archer butler almost. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, he wouldn't make it very far. But but he's needing someone to travel the world with. So Fogg goes to the front. And we see this through John's eyes. He goes to the front of the hotel where the party was taking place. And he asks one of the people to give them their best worker at the hotel. And because he, and he'll, like, pay them well. And because he needs to travel the world with someone. He'll give him a cut. Right. As Fogg leaves... Then that that person, like the best worker, starts like walking out the door with Fog. Mm-hmm. But John comes up right behind him and is like, "Here, I, I can do this. You're needed back in the kitchen." Just he doesn't. Like, he doesn't just like knock the guy out. No, no. Oh. This isn't the. He's there. It's in front of other people. But this is this is the Sherlock Holmes scene. I mean, I I play video games where they've asked <laughs> me to knock people out in front of people like in a sneak way, and and I do it. Yeah, so. but then John he he like leaves, and there's this whole entire aspect of like the quick cuts and the and the whoosh sounds and like the like they're the very, preparing for yeah, everything. The very suave like t- type of like he's. Do you get any insight on how David Tennant or Phileas Fogg is planning to actually start his trip? Yeah, because. Uh, because you're you're ta- you're describing a montage, right? Yeah. By the very end of like the first act, John and Philly decide that they're going to go by boat to France, mm-hmm. the, the first place that they're going to be. Boat seems like the safest route because there's no airplanes available, and yeah, like <laughs> just travel by boat. Yeah, and also uh, you can actually sail the word world in forty days. But this might have been before like the Panama Canal and everything was created, or, or wherever they had to go. Through. Yeah. Also, also, Fog gets seasick, so it's not like a great way <laughs> to go. Like David Tennant gets seasick. Yeah, and Abigail falls along with them because she thinks that it's going to be a great thing to write a newspaper on. Yeah. So she works for the Daily Telegraph. Reminds me a little bit of um, the Spider-Man. Every thing. every single I feel like story has to have someone that works on the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> like any type of like. Well, there's or... there's a little bit of so in the book that's a very different character it's played uh, detective fix is the antagonist he plays this guy who's looking to catch fog um he's not a bad bad dude he just is he works for the cops basically yeah. and fog is uh wanted for like a bank robbery or something and yeah, so see this is this is completely different like i feel like they changed the characters and and just the events because here when they get yeah, the France, person who made the show ashley farrow or wrote the show he also made life on mars and uh, him and Caleb Branson, who worked on Ordinary Joe, funnily enough, uh, they have also been granted Jules Verne's other work to adapt the Journey to the Center of the Earth franchise. Oh, okay. So that's going to be a TV so show? So it's going to be the Verneverse. 
<laughs> Are we going to see these characters show up there? I mean, maybe, but but the idea that this show's already been renewed for another season should go to show you that they're really serious this about trying... been renewed for another yeah, season? Yeah, it's already been renewed I, for another season. I was season. wondering if it was going to be a mini-series, just because, to me, there was no, like, driving for... Because once you sail the world in 80 days, that feels like the end of the story. And they're going to do it again, or something similar to it, in the second series. <laughs> okay, yeah, so uh, when they get to France... Uh, David Tennant, his carriage is like stopped by protesters because they're they're just protesting. That seems like a very current thing, right? Yes. And, and then John and Abigail kind of leave the carriage. Oh, and it's also supposed to be based on like real events. They try to incorporate that as much as possible. Yeah, well, at points it felt like I was watching Downton Abbey. <laughs> like, I, I, it's not that historically accurate. No, 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 not historically accurate, but in the sense of like who the viewership was for. I was like, this is either for kids who are it's supposed like, to be like young. family. Yeah, yeah, young or, or just like kind of like for the people again that like Downton Abbey. But John decides to go to this place because again, he, he's French. He grew up there. He goes to the place where his father apparently was killed by the government of France. Yeah, and so th- there was a lot of um, wars that were breaking out. In fact, I think he wrote it during a war. I know in American school systems, they like to complain about how much history like that has to be kept track of. And it's like how important is specific events and such like that. But like going and learning the history of France would be insane if you live there locally because of how at least we only have like 250 years to look at. The French have like forever. Well, yeah, <laughs> and it's, so many wars, so many times that the government uh, was overthrown. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because at the very so somehow John's brother is there and they're going to assassinate the president of France. Mm-hmm. Like the so his brother is Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it just gets crazier and crazier. Like then David Tennant, uh, he decides to get out. Yeah, of but car. did you like it? Like, is it good crazy? No, it, it just felt so convoluted. David, okay. like his. I heard pacing was an issue. That was pacing, like the main complaint for people. They yeah, were like, no, they were like, how are they going to extend it over eight episodes? We're about, we're about, I'd say like twenty five minutes into the episode, we're just getting introduced to John's brother and suddenly it's like oh we're going to kill the president I thought that this was just something where they were going to sail the world in 80 days and like I, I don't know well obviously it was going to be about the adventure and the stuff that they ran into over the yeah. time that's what it's all about the journey not just the the speed at which they do it yeah but like when you're saying that's rushed it completely was rushed uh-huh. like David Tennant he gets out of the carriage and like apparently all the protesters think that because he was in a carriage he's like a part of the higher ups so they start like trying to get him and like stealing his he stuff he is sort of higher up though because he's right he's rich enough to afford a crate he has the facade of looking rich i still think that he's poor but in the end he like gets to the place where the president is going to be abigail and john and they say coward they don't say liar right yeah so he i think he's rich i think he's scrooge mcduck rich that's a reference because he played scrooge mcduck yeah Yeah, anyways, they're they're all at like this tower. The president is coming out, they have the guns ready, and then um like a Phileas Fogg actually ends up speaking to the president right as the president is coming out because he's looking for Abigail because Abigail's father didn't really want her going on the trip and he wants to send her back home. So you When like, you say president, you're talking about the king, right? Like the, it was the king of France. President of the Republic. Oh. Okay. Well, I don't know my French history that well. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, but but then like it, it turns out that, like, because Phileas Fogg was, like, kind of distracting the president or whatever, he ended up getting the way, in the way of the president and got shot. Like, Phileas, Phileas gets, gets shot Phileas in this episode. Because this is, like, the 1870s again, so, like, the medical... Where does, where does he get shot? <laughs> he gets shot, like, in, in his side. But, oh, he's fine. But then, okay. yeah, no, he absolutely is fine, because he, like, gets up, looks in his jacket, and ends up being just, like, one of those liquor canteens that he got shot by. Okay. Well, that sounds like the Jackie Chan, like, movie that came out. So, the, the, true or false, real quick, right? Yeah. The movie version of this won a Best Picture. 
Uh, false. 1956, the film version did. It was filmed over 75 days, uh, 112 locations, 13 countries, 140 sets, $6 million spent. The cast was made up of 69,000 people, including extras, and 8,000 animals. Why, why didn't they just say it was filmed in 80 days, though? <laughs> I feel like that would have been more poetic. But yeah, no, that's... Because uh, you don't get to just fudge how long it takes you to film the thing. I think they had to edit it afterwards, too. But so that many extras and that many animals. They had to speed through it because of how many extras and animals they'd have and all, all the locations they had to go to. Like, that is a huge project. And, like, there, if you wanted to get it, jump into a story, that's an interesting one. Here's the next true or false question. The movie won a Razzie. The 1956 one? No. Okay, yeah, I, I knew that was a trick. Uh, yeah. uh, true, I'll say. False. Uh. It was nominated for two Razzies. It actually won two stinkers, though. I wasn't even aware that a stinker was an award, but the 2004 Jackie Chan movie, which I'm familiar with, that was the yeah, first introduction I, I saw of it. Um, that that <laughs> That's not looked at with critical reception. I saw it when I was a kid, but I think I liked it. Yeah, I mean it's a fun it's a fun thing. It just has nothing to do with the actual <laughs> book, really. Its production and marketing cost 140 million dollars to make and it only made 72 million worldwide. Oh, wow. So it was definitely a flop. Mm. So that's but but one thing I learned about both these versions that I didn't know is that they both um, or I think they both incorporated the whole idea of there being a giant hot air balloon. Yeah, yeah, okay. So But that's not in the book. See, I, I was waiting for the hot air balloon because that's the only part I remembered from yeah, the movie. Yeah, everybody does because it's the p cover picture. Right. But that doesn't, it's not actually, like, it wasn't feasible back then. Like, hot air balloons existed. I was going to ask. But yeah. it wasn't a fast mode of transportation. It, it, it just looks cool. Well, it looks like it would be a fast it makes, mode. It makes somewhat sense here because... So, also, his dark material has a hot air balloon where they travel everywhere. Speaking of which, <laughs> at the very end of the episode, that, like, British... Lin-Manuel Miranda That British it? person came in and was like, uh, we're going to which come British out here with person? just the normal narrator that comes in during the credits oh, okay. and it was like we're going to bring you to another episode of around the world in 80 days but uh, look out for his dark materials coming out Bob. Oh, okay so like the channel 4 dude yeah okay and, and so at the very end of it it turns out that john's brother and like his friends that were like trying to assassinate the president of the police come right to the place where it was and they go out in a blaze of glory like all of them just end up dying it violent it was it, well it wasn't really violent as much as just like you introduce these characters just to kill them off it seemed like but it like was, do you see the blood and gore of it well you see john's brother like from the back get riddled with bullets but you don't see any blood from it really so is this like a doctor who level of uh yeah maturity it, i guess yeah but it was just so like a jarring. at one point someone said that they thought tenet was going to regenerate You've also seen Abigail Fix before, the person who plays her, Leonie Bench. I think that's how you pronounce yeah, her last in. name. In? Oh, no, you don't no, know? I don't know. Okay, yeah. She was uh, in Babylon Berlin, also a show called Spy City, The Swarm, and Counterpart. She wasn't the main girl in Babylon Berlin. She plays the ma main girl's, like, best friend, the no, red-haired well, one. Wait, yeah. And I think this is her first actual, like, English-speaking role, even though Counterpart is an English-slash-French-like uh, type of show. I remember you pointing out when you were watching it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So how'd she do? I mean, all the acting was good. I was really glad to see David Tennant there. She she did fine. But, like, the acting isn't the reason you watch the show. I feel like, especially with something called Around the World in 80 Days, you watch it for the story. The story just really wasn't there. There's some stuff that So just, what would you give it in the end? Like a 6 out of 10? Like, the, it, it didn't... 
there was some stuff that was just like too hard to believe also so basically everyone decides all three of them are able to kind of make it out as they're being chased by the police and they randomly go into this kind of like backyard and they see this hot air balloon and they're like oh my god it's our way to escape and then this person comes out with a gun and is like you're not escaping that's my hot air balloon and then david Tennant's like, we'll, we'll pay you we'll pay you whatever price and then the guy's like it's priceless because apparently he called the hot air balloon Mary Rose and that was his wife's name. And then David Tennant was like, it's like people would name their boat. Right. But David Tennant is like, it's not doing any well, like, you know, being here. And I'm sure Mary Rose would want like someone to actually ride in it, which made no sense. So it, it takes like four minutes I mean, to convince this guy. For shows. But like the guy then just allows them to leave. He doesn't even go on the hot air balloon. He doesn't take the money. No, he doesn't take anything. It, he just, they just all, like they just them. promise him a check in the future. Yeah, well, they, well, he, like David Tennant, apparently these four minutes that he spoke to him were like supposed to be really, really powerful because he just allows them to leave off on the hot air balloon. And then in the very beginning of the second episode, the hot air balloon crashes. So he didn't even keep the word of like trying to save Mary Rose's name. <laughs> and they use it for, as a joke. And I was like, so look, that, that like whole entire wait, last like, they, part. Wait, wait, you say they use it as a joke. They're like, look, look at that chump who just gave us our, this balloon and we just crashed it. Like they were well, making fun of well, him. Yeah, no, well, the, like it was more John and Abigail that were kind of like, you just crashed the, the balloon and it's supposed to be funny. But it's like, hey, that was supposed to be the guy's wife. So you feel like, sorry for the guy. Yeah, even though he's not even. I had a scary sense episode. when I was like reading about it that this was sort of like the doctor doolittle robert downey jr version where they like <laughs> they took kind of a interesting plot they threw a lot of money at it and then they were like what can we do with it now in a different interpretation and i don't know if it worked are you seeing a lot of animals in this uh, animals no well i'm just saying <laughs> like in Dr. Doolittle. The, the yeah well there's that and then the movie one best picture with as i said eight thousand yeah, animals yeah, like i don't even think there was one animal in this thing it reminded yeah. me a lot of pennyworth though because there's a lot of like set design with mm-hmm. not a lot of people in the sets <laughs> oh well that might be because of covid they only shot one episode before covid hit and actually if you remember staged when uh, david Tennant was doing that he talked about how he had tried to go to i think cape cod in south africa which was where they were shooting at the time Mm -hmm. when it was canceled and then something else that is is kind of uh, a connection between two shows is that around the world in 80 days with michael palin came out in 1989 and that was like a nature travel show and the travel series was hosted by sir michael palin that name should be very familiar michael palin he's from monty python fame however when he first hosted this show he, it was passed off by a bunch of famous people at the time. You had Alan Whitaker, Noel Edmonds, Miles Kingston. They all declined to do this show, so he was able to host it. And it was him and his film crew of like four or five people as they did the journey on television. So actually- it was a big hit. Um, he couldn't go by aircraft, but he went by foot, train, ship, balloon, husky. Took 79 days for him husky. to finish. Yeah, like... <laughs> Like in Alaska and stuff. But I don't think they went to Alaska, just cold environments. Um, and then it took them 79 days to complete it, which was almost exactly how long it actually takes Phillies Fogg in the book to finish the journey. And then he went on to stage. And then so he, he was the guy at the very yeah, beginning. Yeah, he was the one two. who was like, so I think that's how he knew the David Tennant connection there. And it's just really funny that they both would have been working on that project at some point and then it's that's crazy the other thing i wanted to point out about abigail fix's character is that i think they combined her detective version with Nellie bly who was the first person to really complete the journey in 1889 uh, or something uh, so you know who Nellie bly is right no like she was a journalist at the time who uh really kind of pushed 
the investigative journalism angle by breaking in or breaking out of an asylum like she went in there undercover and then she broke out and then she disclosed how terrible conditions were in like the new york prison system or in the prison system mm-hmm. asylum system like how they treated uh people who had uh, mental disorders yeah and then she decided to complete the trip and it took her 72 days to do so um and so i think they took that kind of inspiration of how she played it and, or how who she was and put it into this Abigail Fix's character to 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 make it more interesting. That's yeah. The, 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 also, I, I know how was the music? Hans Zimmer. No, I saw. Oh, that you did see it. No, and that that's definitely a positive. I was like, they were able to get him. It's like seeing Alan Silverstein in any type of like TV show. I, I, Out of all the ways that they've journeyed so far, which way would you want to travel? Well, we've really only seen two. Oh, okay. and one of it was just a complete chase where people got killed. So which episode did you like the most? Probably the second one because it felt more contained. It reminded me a lot of kind of the Chuck episode, season three, where like Chuck and Sarah are, are just on a train the whole time because that's basically what this was. And also, it's, like, way easier to describe. Like, in the first episode, it's so convoluted with, like, the assassination and suddenly... If there was a murder on the train and then it was a mystery, it would just be kind of a playoff of, like, other Agatha Christie... Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, Agatha Christie's, like, type of novels and stuff. Well, here here it was... Because these are supposed to one-offs almost, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for the very ending where it felt like an after-credit scene where we learned that Bellamy has apparently ran someone who wants to stop Fogg so that he can get the reward money from him. So stop Fogg from actually traveling the world in 80 days. Yeah, again, Rat Race. That feels very Rat Race-ish. Yeah. When they played it in the UK, because it starts off with a clock, it actually starts with the same time that the image shows in the clock as the time that it was playing. So, like, it went by the clicks to that? Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It was, I'm trying to remember. What, I think it was, like, 8 o'clock or something. 5.50? Oh, okay. <laughs> and so you saw Journey to the Center of the Earth, right? Yeah. And are you excited for this? Because one thing I did read that was kind of universal, whether or not you liked this show or not, was that everybody was really psyched for it. Like, they really wanted to see it succeed. So do you think that Journey to the Center of the Earth is going to have that same type of yeah, because if you remember in the Journey to the Center of the Earth movie, there was, like, so many different obstacles that they had to go through. I think that the way they're probably going to do it in the TV show is, like, every, like, different obstacle is going to probably take its own episode of, like, a, there's just going to be continual things that they have to get through. But it's going to be almost like this, where it's just a ton of one-offs. But, yeah, I'm interested to see what they like do. Like an anthological yeah. series, you think? Uh, who would be the best to be cast in that role? Like, Michael Sheen, you think? Maybe I I would like to see Brendan Fraser if he'd be like willing to go back to it, almost remake his own type of remake. I think he's busy with Doom Patrol, but yeah, that'd be cool. Um, also, last thing uh, that I just remember, you were actually born the year of the tiger. You know that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we're once again the year of the tiger. Are you in tune with this year more so than more most years? No, I feel the exact same. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. 